podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. If you're at all into the outdoors or outdoor-inspired clothing, then you've most likely seen Topo Designs. Their identifying look are backpacks and bags that have such a simple and retro look. And every time I see one, it takes me back to college and the very first teal Mountain Smith bag I had for lugging my books all over the University of Michigan campus. And I have to admit, when I first saw Topo Designs gear, I was a skeptic. Sure, it looked cool, but it wasn't functional, was it? It wasn't real outdoor gear, but it just looked so darn cool. And there's this undeniable fashion element to this outdoor gear that can't be ignored. And from a branding perspective, these folks tell an amazing story. And I was intrigued big time. So I purchased a bag and my opinion on Topo was immediately changed. The design is so simple that you want to declare that anyone can do that. But that's what makes it so awesome for the user and so challenging to produce. And in a day and age where we love to over-engineer everything, Topo Design products feel exactly just right. Recently, I took one of their core backpacks as a camera bag to Africa, Northern Michigan, and Eastern Europe, and it performed flawlessly. Even better, the same bag served as my camera bag, laptop bag, business meeting bag, outback excursion bag, and roam around Europe bag. This flexibility is exactly what today's guest is trying to accomplish with each product. Jed Rose took the unconventional path into the outdoor industry. His passions are fashion, sculpture, printmaking, and art. But Jed was able to combine these interests with his love for the outdoors into one of the coolest and fastest growing outdoor brands in America. So on today's show, we have Jed Rose, founder of Topo Designs. Jed, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here and great to talk to you again. Uh, well, it's, it's so great to talk to you, Jed. And, uh, you know, where I'd like to start today is uh, for those people that may not know about Topo Designs, Topo Designs started as a backpack company. You've now expanded into all sorts of lifestyle products, such as clothing uh, and other products. So do you remember your very first backpack you ever owned? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was probably a, a real old... Um, uh, it, the one that I remember was just kind of a, a no-name brand bag that my dad had given me that he had used for a long time. And I think it may have been from like an old kit. I don't think he sewed it, but um, it was a it, it was a kit that somebody had made um, and that he had picked up from them or got from somebody else. But it was, yeah, definitely not not a brand name thing. And it didn't really even have a label on it. It was just like really simple nylon day pack, um, with metal zip on there and some, um, like tan, like really old school paracord and a little bit of metal hardware on there. Super, super simple, but, um, was definitely one of those, uh, yeah, first bags that was real inspirational to me. So, um, and I've got a bunch of those bags still, but, um, I don't, I don't have that one specifically, but I've, I have, um, quite a few of the other uh, older bags that I used to use and that my dad used to use when we were um, doing stuff outside I, here in the office that we kind of reference all the time. So, 
So take me back there. Like your dad's handing you this backpack for the first time uh, that becomes your very own back bag, at least that you remember. Like yeah. how did that make you feel? Like what did that represent? I mean, it's, it, it transcends the backpack, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, for, uh, for our family, we had this, um, I don't know, we kind of just had this sort of centralized, uh, pile of stuff that we all use. So it wasn't necessarily mine per se. It was, it was mine to use if that makes sense, but it wasn't necessarily like I was going to be the owner of this from now on. So we, we all shared a lot of stuff and we all had a, like we used to have this big, um, cardboard box full of hats in our, uh, closet, uh, by our front door. And we'd all just kind of get in there and like, pull a hat out when we needed a hat or, or pull a bag out when we needed a bag. So um, I think eventually we sort of found our own paths and knew that we were all going to pick the, you know, the consistently the same things in there, but I don't really ever, you know, remember feeling ownership specifically on, on a lot of that stuff, which was really interesting. And I, I think that when I, when I did actually get things specific for myself, um, that was, it was like this really incredible, um, switch in, in the way that, you know, our, our gear pile worked that I was getting, um, something that was actually specifically mine. Like I remember I, I got a pair of, finally got a pair of, uh, hip boots for fishing that were, um, just my boots and not like my dad's old hand-me-downs or like shared with anybody else. And, and I, you know, thought that was like the most amazing thing ever to have my own set of stuff. So, but I think that's also why I, um, you know, really liked all of the gear we had because it wasn't necessarily this one specific thing that I looked at. I sort of looked at it as a whole because we shared a lot of stuff. So I got exposed to a lot of stuff that was, that was adult, um, you know, use and sized it at that time. But as a kid, I still, I still used it. So I was always like focused on getting, you know, the, the real thing rather than the kid thing. Yeah. I love that. Take me back to the family gear pile. I, you know, we have that too. And we had that when I was a kid and although I was a little different, like I, in my mind, I owned it, right. It wasn't right. mine, it wasn't mine, but it was mine. And I, right. I, I, right. I took ownership <laughs> and, and I love that. And uh, I just, uh, you're, you're taking me back there and, and, you know, while we're there, why don't we go back to, you, you grew up in Wyoming and tell me a little bit about that. That's a little non-traditional uh, for someone that's, you know, designing, uh, you know, fashion forward uh, backpacks and lifestyle gear. Yeah, it was, uh, it, I was definitely an anomaly there. I mean, the, the outdoor part of me was, was, uh, you know, I was probably more hardcore than a lot of my friends on the outdoor side. Um, and that I think helped offset the, the weirdness of me being super into fashion at the same time, which usually wasn't, you know, well received in, in small town Wyoming from a bunch of young boys they just were kind of confused by that so um but yeah i don't like inherently there were i don't know there's this huge piece of me that was always um really into clothing and, and gear and um just the the aesthetic of it and um the you know the idea that 
there were just constantly new things coming out and you could sort of change your person all the time. Um, that, that was always fascinating to me. Like I tell people about going to the, uh, cowboy boot store when I was like three or four with my mom. And I just remember it like really vividly and being able to smell the leather and being able to see all the variations of the boots, you know, the pointy ones and the stub nose ones and the fancy ones and the plain ones. And, um, the sales guy would come up, start talking to my mom and she'd kind of sort of direct him over to me instead. Cause she knew that I was the one that was going to be ultimately choosing what I wanted, not her, you know? So, um, even at a very young age, there was just something about, um, yeah, fashion and clothing and gear that, uh, was, was like really inside me that, um, I, I definitely, you know, way, almost like wasn't my choice, even though I would wear weird stuff to school and, and, um, get hassled about it, uh, by my friends, it was always worth it to me, even, even to take the heat about it because it was, it was so interesting and just such a big part of me. So yeah, having that, that mix of fashion as well as spending a ton of time, um, outside camping and fishing and, um, hiking and, and just generally being outdoors, um, just sort of like those were the, you know, those were the two sides of my personality and really are today um, as well. And it's just a big part of who I've always been. So um, oddly enough, it, you know, I've found something that really supports both of those sides of me. Yeah. And this word fashion, I mean, as I hear you use it over and over again, I realize what a, a weird word it is and, and how, how it has so many different um, connotations and labels and, and, and how we think about things. And even just saying that I'm into fashion is a very courageous thing to say and something that you don't hear often. You mentioned it a little bit, but like, how did you have the courage in small town Wyoming to say like, no, like this is cool, right? Like even like if I was into fashion, I would be like, ah, I'm into like design or I'm into like, <laughs> well, like I don't know if I would use that word. Like how, like, like I, I find like very inspiring that you have this, this courage to say, you know, I'm into fashion and I own it and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's really odd. I mean, it, everything was pushing on the other end of the spectrum to not be that person and not, you know, be outwardly supporting weird clothing and and talking about it and um I don't know I think some of those things that um I I think for me it's always been one of those things that I can look at and say what would I do even if it's super painful for me um you know, other people's opinion of me are, are super painful. What are those things that you would still do because it's it's such a large part of your personality and who you are? And and you know, clothes and and fashion um, have always been like such a such a thing that I could never get rid of in my life. That it was just worth it for me to to take the uh, you know any pain that was or you know getting hassled about it. That um, yeah. I, I don't know why it was so important or it's still so important to me, but the, my parents would always say that, you know, by the time I got all, and it was, it's, it's gear too. It's like getting the right, you know, equipment going and the rights. Uh, it's just being like ultimately geared up and, and, and looking good for whatever you're doing. And my parents would always say like, by the time I got geared up, uh, to play with my friends, it was time for them to go home, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, it's just, yeah, like even since I've been little, it's it's uh, it's been a huge part of who I am. And um, I think, you know, ultimately when I got older, 
it, my friends sort of saw that it, it was, you know, kind of a good thing. Like girls were into it and that, you know, you looked good and, um, people were actually supportive of, of people that look good and, and kind of had a personal identity and, um, you know, had a, had a real sense of self too. And so the, you know, a lot of the people that hassled me, I remember ending up, um, some of my friends, I, I, you know, go through catalogs with their moms and like pick out their clothes for them for high school and their moms would order them up out of catalogs. And stuff. <laughs> so I ended up going from getting hassled to being their personal shoppers and, and helping them out. So, <laughs> but you've always got to fall back as a personal shopper then, right? Well, that's right. That's you right. Want to change careers. Double goes south. I'm heading straight that direction. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that, ever, I mean, did that come from your father that come from your mother? Do you know where that influence and that just that first idea that, that this was something that you were interested in and might have come from? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, when I think about it, it it's probably a, a hybrid of both of them. My, my dad has always been um, really on the, on the front line of new outdoor stuff and trend. And he's, you know, if you, if you knew him, you wouldn't think that about him because he doesn't really talk about it all that much. And he doesn't, you know, he's not necessarily like the most trendy, uh, you know, dresser or anything but he can always spot these trends that always always like really frustrating to me and um you know say this is coming and it's it's cool and i'll be like yeah whatever man and then five years later it's just fully blown into this massive thing so i I would say that's he's always been um talking to me about those things and my mom's always been super into clothes so i i don't know if it's necessarily like comes from them I, i wouldn't say that i actually really ever spent much time talking about fashion or, or clothes or I obviously spent some time talking to my dad about gear but it wasn't it was more about the activity than than the gear itself the gear was more a, a, a you know supporting role in the, the activity than, than being the, the main focus so I, I just think for me I've, I've always been like real aesthetically driven and um, been a, a real tweaker for um, specifics on things and, and really honestly, like the, the story and history behind things have always been really, really big for me and, and just finding whatever the real amazing version of whatever that thing is, I've always, you know, lusted after that. So I don't, I don't know whether that's, you know, family driven. I'm, I'm sure it probably is, but it's, you know, just sort of inherently in me as well. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about your family. Do you guys grow up with a lot of money? I mean, I know that going outside and fishing, camping, hunting, I mean, that is a way of life in Wyoming. And from what I understand, that was a way of life for you and your family. Um, so I, I know you did a lot of that, but like, what was growing up uh, in Wyoming like? Yeah, it was honestly, it was, it was great. I mean, I, the, we definitely didn't have a lot of money. My um, dad was a neuroscience professor at the University of Wyoming and uh, my mom was a, a part-time uh, high school music teacher and part-time piano teacher. So, and she did that so she could, you know, when we were little, pick us up from school and, um, and be there when we were there after school and, um, so we, you know, it was, there was nothing like a massive struggle about my, my childhood by any means, but yeah, we did, we weren't, we weren't rolling in dough. So the fact that we could go out and do things real inexpensively, like go camping and, and fishing and just be outdoors, right. You know, 20 minutes from our house, um, whenever 
whenever we wanted to was, was really nice. So we weren't really ever fighting this battle of, you know, the activities that we like to do were just too much money and we couldn't do it very often. Um, so that was really nice. And, you know, I personally am, am kind of uh, an introvert. So I, I think Wyoming was probably a good fit for me. There aren't many people there and a lot of, lot of space to uh, be by yourself. And so that was probably a good fit as well. The, the weather and the, um, you know, the wind are a little bit of a, a, a downer in Wyoming, but man, there's, there's a, there's a lot of amazing things to, to be done there, especially if you're, you're into the outdoors, you know? So, and we were, we grew up in a, or I grew up in a town that, um, was, uh, a college town essentially. So I did get, uh, enough exposure to, um, cultural events. It was, you know, by no means Manhattan, but, um, we, through the university there, there was, um, you know, uh, enough things happening that I wasn't super isolated from the rest of the world. So that was great. And my parents always um, did what we could to, to do some traveling and to expose me to new things um, when I was growing up. So um, that was great, too. So I feel like I got, you know, a, a good taste of, of the world as a kid, um, but also got to grow up in this pretty remote, small, um, rural place, which to me was was pretty great. Yeah. And so of course your dad's great at trends. He's a neuroscience professor. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Research is his his game. (laughs) Literally. Yeah. 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 He's he's, he's a professional, (laughs) you might say. Yeah. He's a professional researcher. (laughs) So, you know, you're, you're going through, uh, you're in Laramie and you're you're going through life and you're loving it. And at what point, I mean, was there a moment where you just kind of looked around and you said, you know what? Like, there's a problem here that, that eventually I'm going to fix. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I, I really didn't, honestly, I didn't really ever approach Topo as, as a, a business when I was first coming out with it. Um, I guess I did always approach it as there's a, there's a missing piece of, of what I want in, in my, you know, fashion slash gear life that that I don't feel like I can get out there. So um, I think I've always been on the on the lookout for what, uh, like I said, what that thing is that is the the most, um, you know, quintessential example of of a thing out there so i i think that's what i always was really drawn to and i think what you know was a big catalyst for me with topo was just looking at all of the americana um that was happening in japan uh at the time and what an amazing job they were doing at building american things in uh, you know in a in a far off land and then just kind of putting them on a pedestal and and showing people how amazing these things were and then a big part of that was uh you know this like really classic retro um outdoor gear so that was the initial spark i think for me that really tapped into so much of what um i was interested in as a kid and and who i was as a person and you know the the history of where i grew up and um, all the aesthetic of, of my life up until that point was just sort of like encapsulated in this, you know, in this American 
Japanese thing that was all the stuff that I grew up with that we couldn't that we could no longer get here in the U.S. It was only available there in Japan. So. Yeah, and one of the things I I loved about what you shared with me in our last conversation was this idea that you know you would go out and you would enjoy all these amazing outdoor pursuits. You'd be out fishing, hunting, but you know it takes very specific gear, and it was gear and clothing that when you returned to town, you had to change or, or remove. And 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 how did that influence you? I mean, what did you see there? Yeah, I think that was a honestly like at the end of the day, that's that's still really you know, what we want to do at Topo. And I think that um, was a, a huge part of the the reason why I wanted to build something different too. Because it was, you know, 15 years ago in the outdoor industry, it was just so heavily focused on tech and, um, you know, the the upper echelon of, of whatever you're doing. And it, and it was, it was like, you know, this spacesuit quest for, um, for gear. And, you know, and I'm, that at the end of the day, that really made some incredible fabrics and made some incredible technology and it made some incredible gear, but that's not the only piece of the story, you know? And I think what I really wanted to do is somehow try and integrate the rest of life into that. So it wasn't just this isolated, um, event that going out, in the outdoors, you had to get so heavily suited up to, to do, um, it did, that it didn't relate to the rest of your life, you know? And I think that the fact that I always was super into fashion and that I had to like set my fashion hat at home and, and put on my outdoor hat when I went outdoors was always super frustrating to me too. Cause I wanted, you know, it's not like I wanted to look bad when I went out and did stuff. I just wanted to go do stuff and I wanted to have clothing that worked while I was there too. So I think that, um, you know, having both sides of the, of the coin, um, in every aspect of my life was, yeah, was a big, uh, was a big uh, driver for me to try to solve that problem. Yeah. And I really think that gets back to the idea of what you just talked about before that, which is quintessential design and, you know, putting out products that really serve a wide variety of use cases. Can you give me an example of a quintessential design that's not Topo, just to kind of set the bar, something you really admire? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there. Things like, uh, like an open L knife, right? That That's always one of those things for me that has been such a cool, classic, functional piece of, of design that really hasn't changed much. It doesn't need to change much. It's super um, aesthetically pleasing. It's got a, you know, really classic wood handle with this really ingenious locking blade. And the blade is, is um, carbon and it's, it's, um, it's, it's really strong and, and beautiful. And um, it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's super timeless and it can work just as well, like in your kitchen as it, as it can, like when you're out in the middle of nowhere too. So there's, you know, there are a lot of examples of things like that, that, um, I think just, you know, sort of transcend time and have a lot of genius solutions behind them and are simple because they are designed so well that they don't need anything else, you know, added to them. They just, they just work, uh, incredibly well as they are. And they just, will stand the test of time that way. 
you know, it's such a good example. I just had this vivid image of like being on the mountainside, right. In Colorado and maybe, you know, peeling an apple or cutting right. a block of cheese and then coming down and, you know, some you're, you're having wine at home and someone says, Hey, you, know, you just whip that out of your pocket and mm-hmm. uh, cut the foil off and away you go. So you're right. just like, it has this uh, universal appeal in it. It is just a classic. So you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in Wyoming, uh, you study sculpture and printmaking. So still a bold move coming out. I mean, what do you think you were going to do with sculpture and printmaking? <laughs> That's an excellent question. I don't think I knew really. I know that, um, I, I had always, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was the best artist by any means. I, um, I saw that as that, that was probably one of the limiting things about Wyoming is there was art class, right? Like if you had anything creative, um, to do, it was either probably art class or music. And I, I played, um, I played in jazz band for a long time as well. Um, but I was definitely not, uh, I was even less, uh, you know, tuned to be a musician because of all the, I would say probably all the math and the practicing that goes into that. But, um, the, the art side was, uh, I think just, um, it was probably like the only outlet that I saw on the, on the creative side that, um, was available to me at that time too. So I, I really focused on art in, in high school. And then, um, when I went to college, it just seemed like sort of a natural thing for me to do is to be an art major. And, um, I tended to see 3d a lot better than, um, just drawing or painting. So sculpture made a lot of sense to me there. And, um, printmaking was like a very, you know, very tactile version of, uh, of 2d, um, work. So I really liked that too. A lot of like carving in the wood and, and small bits of relief that I could, that I could, you know, jam paper into and then make a print off of there. So, um, I, I actually feel like I, I was, I was really lucky that, um, I didn't have this like career path when I went to college because I really feel like I learned a lot about the world and I learned a lot about, solving problems and um just really experiencing college and i think it's you know it's probably a a little bit depressing that the kids uh you know nowadays have to pay so much to go to college that it's it's such a massive burden but like when i went to college i i had a job there i had a couple like measly scholarships and i just paid it off while i was there it was it was amazing i also went in-state at wyoming too so that that really helped but my my college experience was i i think really incredible and i i would say that um the the fine art world for me really prepared me well for the design world that i and you know ultimately got into after that there was um i would say even less of a man, it was just, it's, it's so hardcore. Some of those, uh, fine art critiques there, it just felt like the, the gloves were always off and people were going to tell you exactly what they thought. And they would always call you out if you didn't do good work. So, um, and it wasn't, you know, unwarranted, but at the same time, it was, it was definitely very, very, uh, um, intense in a lot of the critiques too. So I think that prepared me super well to get a thick skin and do hard work and, and do, as, as good a work as I could, um, when I ultimately decided to take a couple design classes and, um, 
learn how to use the computer and, and get into the graphic design world the, the ninth hour of my uh, college career. So um, I really, I was, yeah, I was excited that, um, and I still am that I got to have that fine art experience in there because it was just a different um, sort of creative and environment to work in. Yeah. And, you know, I have a little bit of uh, experience with that as well. I took sculpture in college uh, at the University of Michigan, and it was literally okay. the hardest class I've ever took. Uh, <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, you had to do a bust of yourself and you were yeah. really graded with calipers. They would put the calipers to your head, put it to the to the bust, you know, and it had to, everything had to be perfect. And it was... Right so challenging but like so rewarding and so here you are you're, you're, you're playing around in experimenting exploring this analog world of sculpture and printmaking and, and and you move in and you kind of cross over into this digital world of of graphic design um tell me a little bit about that yeah i um I, luckily at the time the the university was just adding a graphics program right when i was about to graduate. So, um, and they hired uh, a couple of, um, you know, really young and energetic uh, faculty members at that time. And, and I, I really liked both of them and um, just grabbed a couple of, yeah, very basic classes at the, at the end of my career to learn the, the software essentially. Um, and just get a, you know, an intro to this whole idea of graphic design. And so, uh, once I graduated, um, I ended up, uh, working for, um, a woman, uh, in, uh, in Laramie that, um, had a, a small print shop there. And, um, Luckily for me, her, her graphic designer was leaving at that time and um, I could come in and, and take his spot and I didn't need a bunch of experience. I, I had had a, a brief job at the university itself doing some design um, before I graduated. So I got a little bit of experience um, before I graduated and got a job. But um, I, I ended up working uh, in the, the print shop side uh, for a while before um, the guy who was leaving left. Um, and man, that was, that was a, a great experience too. just, uh, having to work the, the bindery department and do some of the printing and, um, just see that process and honestly, uh, kind of endure some of that stress because the, the printing world has such a low margin that, um, it's, uh, really, really important that you don't screw anything up. So you kind of have to be on your game all the time and be thinking and, um, cutting a giant sheet of, of uh, business cards down into little uh, uh, business size card pieces was always super stressful to me. So I think it gave me a good, good understanding of what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. But it was a great experience. And then um, got, uh, got to take over the, the design side of that and, and did a lot of the, the pre-press uh, there as well, which is you know, basically preparing the files for the, the printing process. Um, so learned all of that process as well as the you know, working with client side and kind of doing it all as sort of this you know, one-man show at a, at a small print shop. Got to learn a, uh, all, the, all the bits top to bottom, which was really nice. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of moved on from there and, and got a, another job. Um, managing a small design firm. And then, um, after that, I actually, uh, ended up getting a job with a guy who I did some freelance design for, um, with a company who was just starting a, a stock footage agency, very much like a small Getty images. And that's how I ended up meeting, uh, my 
business partner, Mark, who uh, did the uh, development there. So, um, yeah, so that was uh, kind of, uh, you know, real serendipitous thing that, that happened uh, and met a uh, feature uh, Topo uh, co-founder with me. Yeah. And so like going back and, you know, as we connect all these dots, it's like, you know, you grew up in Wyoming, you have all this, you know, outdoor experience, you're into fashion, you know, you then train yourself in, in sculpture and in, in an analog kind of printmaking a physical craft, right? And right. then getting into graphic design and, and eventually branding. And here we are preparing you for where we opened up the show to start Topo Designs. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And luckily, you know, so many of those things um, up until that point, I still feel like I'm ill prepared to do what I do today. But, um, you know, looking back on it, uh, there's a lot of that stuff that was was so um, helpful and really essential to being able to start a brand and start a company and start a you know, this, this, uh, design based thing that, um, I was probably a lot more prepared than, than I thought I was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I see that you're very prepared and it all makes a lot of, <laughs> it all makes a lot of sense to me, but right. you know, get it, getting into that. Um, you know, that backstory is, is it launches you into Topo and, uh, you start the company and it's, it's, is it just you as you start? Or are you just, you know, sewing one bag? Like, you know, what, what's happening? Are you, are you selling to, to Japan? Yeah, I was, I was, when we, when I first started, I was just working in my basement by myself, building prototypes and just kind of floundering around. And, um, my wife, you know, was supportive, but had no idea what the hell I was doing down there. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And finally I got to this point where I was actually making some things and I, I was friends with Mark, who's my uh, who's my business partner at that time because we had stayed friends since we worked together at that uh, stock footage agency. And um, I was kind of, you know, asking him what he thought about the bags and he's, he's a good counterpart to me cause he's, he's real, you know, outgoing and he is connected with a ton of people. So he was getting people's opinions about these and showing people the bags and um, kind of, you know, getting some feedback for me. And, um, so I sort of looked at that at that point and thought, huh, this could actually, we could probably be pretty good together working on this too. And he was kind of in agreement too. So, um, we decided to, yeah, to, to join forces at that time and, and sort of, uh, split the work up. And, um, and like I said, we were luck, we're lucky enough to find a, uh, he found a sew shop, um, for us to work with. And then, um, once we had those couple prototypes, uh, we, uh, launched a really rudimentary site. Um, and luckily both he and I had been, you know, enough in the digital world that launching a website and, and building all that stuff was sort of second nature to us. So we were able to do that and it was just a real simple site. And somehow our Japanese distributor that we had to today found us, um, and reached out just to buy a couple of, of bags for themselves to kind of check them out. And they got them and were happy about them and then reached back out and see, you know, if we were interested in, in distributing to uh, Japan. And um, we said, sure, that probably sounds okay. <laughs> and so that was actually our real first, um, you know, legitimate sale was, was uh, to our distributors. So, 
um, we started definitely um, sort of, you know, the opposite of the way most people do and sell it to their friends and neighbors and work out from their, uh, you know, the epicenter of where they live. And we started all the way across the ocean and have been working our way back ever since. So, uh, so it just started you and then you and Mark and, you know, what's the company look like today? Uh, we have about between all of our retail and, um, our, uh, sort of main, you know, corporate offices, if you will, uh, we have about 60 people now. So oh, that's crazy. And how many retail locations are you at right now? Uh, we have four. So we've got, uh, Denver, Fort Collins, Boulder, and, uh, San Francisco. Oh, it's exciting. Are there plans yeah. to expand beyond that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, the, the retail side is, uh, uh, definitely, um, something that, that is great for us, great for the brand. Um, it's definitely a lot of, of money to invest in. So, um, we've been, we kind of expanded fairly quickly there and, um, we'll, I think we'll, we'll open a few more stores in the next few years. Um, and then our, our, you know, we also sell with about 300 retailers, um, in the U.S. and and globally too, so we'll expand our our wholesale as well as our you know our just direct online presence too. So for us, having that that mix of uh, our own stores plus wholesale plus uh, direct um, is is really nice because we can you know kind of shift the um, the risk, if you will, uh, to all those different spots, and and hopefully all of them will do well. But you know, if some go down and some go up, um, they help offset each other too. But yeah, our our plan as of now is to open a, a zillion new st- of our own stores, but um, just to kind of slowly increase the the number of doors there. Wow, and like, how important is your story in all this effort? You know, we we just went through the the story of Topo, and as you go out and communicate that story, how important is that in managing the business? You know, maintaining consistency as you scale, as well as you know, selling the brand to consumers. Yeah, it's, I think it's it's really hugely important. Honestly, it's it's really important for our for our sales staff when they go out and talk to new accounts or or even you know people coming into the store about yeah, how we started, why we're, who we are, um, what's interesting about us. Um, and I think it's also really, really important for us as a company to, um, kind of reflect on where we used to be, where we're coming from and what is, you know, inherently always good about that, that origin, if you will. So I think that, um, we're always kind of looking back and, and looking forward at the same time and, and trying to find that center. And, and, um, I think the, yeah, that, that, uh, story, that original story is, is always something we, we think back about and, and the, you know, the why we're doing what we are doing. And I think it's probably less about my story than it is the, you know, the, the root of Topo and like what, what we really want to do as a company. Um, and that, you know, is, is kind of the, the story of Topo that we are referencing pretty much every time we try to do something new or, um, or expanding or, you know, changing the company at all. We always look back at that to make sure that we get that compass set in the right direction. Yeah. And you, you have a couple ways that you've succinctly uh, distilled that long story we've talked about into some uh, shorter versions. And I think one of them is, is it anywhere on your map? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That this idea that we make stuff that works for anywhere on your map is, um, is, is a big one that um, I think we use internally and externally to, 
kind of check a lot of the decisions that we're making either on the product side or the marketing side or, you know, how we're communicating to people. Um, and I think that it's, uh, yeah, it goes back to a lot of that stuff we were talking about that you can, you can use it, you know, when you go to work, you can use it when you go outside, you can use it when you're traveling around the world. Um, and it's still is super functional and, and super, uh, um, you know, useful in all those scenarios. And I think that, um, that's, yeah, that's definitely one of the, the big things that, that drives us, uh, to check our decisions against. So cool. And so, you know, beyond holding things, what's, what's a, what's a bag mean to you, a backpack mean to you? Like, you know, what, what does it stand for? Yeah, I think, you know, there, there are certain pieces of, of, uh, a person's, uh, stuff that are, are pretty telling about who they are. And, you know, for me, it's like their shoes and their bag. You can really tell who they are based on that. And, um, I think especially a bag, something that, um, yeah, is, is required to do a lot of work for you hold up in, you know, over years of use every day. Um, and it needs to be super functional. It needs to be comfortable. It needs to be, um, you know, able to, to do the work that you need it to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, it also needs to look pretty good too. So I think the, the bag for us is, is, is a really good example of what we, we try to do at Topo. That's probably why we started with bags because um, it's, yeah, it's just such a quintessential example of this, this form and, and function thing that, um, that you can wear, you know, and use every day and everywhere you go. And um, it can really be, you know, a big part of who you are or it can be like a real bummer. So um, I think that, yeah, the bag is a really good example of, of, the types of products that, that we try to focus on at Topo. Oh, I have to ask, what kind of shoes are you wearing right now? Oh, right now I'm actually wearing our uh, collab uh, Danners that we uh, came out with uh, this spring. So yeah, worked on uh, a pair of mountain lights, which are, you know, they're ultra classic, amazing uh, boots that um, they've had forever. And um, we just kind of updated them with some cool colors and, um, some nice trims and stuff and, and made them sort of, uh, topo vibe. So yeah, that's what I'm important today. <laughs> and that just says I'm cool, classic and modern. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, you're always going to have me every time I've got my shoes and my bag. I'm going to be like, <laughs> what, what, what would Jed say about this? Like, what, what, what am I saying? What's what? Yeah. The, make what, good what, choices, Mark. I, well, I have to now. I, you know, I, <laughs> everyone listening, just know that that's out there. That's, you know, your shoes and your bag are the <laughs> What it, what it says about you. So a um, uh, couple closing questions here. Um, you know, one thing we ask everyone on the show is, you know, most great businesses start from frustration, inspiration, or desperation. Which one would you say is Topo? Uh, I would say that, uh, if, yeah, for me, it was definitely um, a bit of a frustration. Like I said, that the, there was this amazing thing out there in the world that was exactly what I was looking for, but, you know, just wasn't really available here in the U S. And so, um, I think that, that, that idea that, that I could make something that was, um, fulfilling those, those needs for me and those desires and, um, uh, 
could actually get it myself was, was probably a, a really big, um, reason why I wanted to do it. And, and the frustration that we talked about, about the, you know, the fact that you had to like pick a path, um, whether you were going to be outdoors or fashion. And I just really didn't want to pick that path. I just wanted to live right in the middle of both of those. So that was definitely a big inspiration for me. And then if you could share with us, uh, you know, what's one of your favorite movies, books, you know, pieces of popular culture that just has been a, a constant in your life that you keep going back to? Oh man. Um, yeah, I, I, am I'm, I'm such a, a movie guy and, um, I, uh, I, I tend to like, like real, obviously like real classic movies as, as well as, um, a lot of modern stuff, but, uh, I, I'm such a sucker for, um, there, you know, there's this nineties series called uh, Northern Exposure. Um, and uh his tv series i don't know if you ever saw it or watched it but um i i watch it all the time and now i've like gotten my wife and my son into it so <laughs> we kind of constantly are rehashing these <laughs> these old episodes of, of northern exposure which is yeah, about a doctor who goes to um to alaska and, and and lives there and kind of um you know, finds his way within this, this small town in Alaska. So that one to me is, is a, is a huge part of, of, uh, you know, my pop culture, uh, secret tweak, I would say. Uh, do you find yourself reliving the small town, uh, lifestyle through that show? Yeah, totally. It's this really nice mix of, of small town quirks and, you know, the, the odd relationships that people have in town, but also I think it really resonated with me too, because a lot of the characters there that although they live in a small town are very, uh, you know, worldly and very knowledgeable and very intelligent and, um, you know, maybe aren't the, the stereotypical small town hick that a lot of people think of. So I think that that was the nice mix for me there. And, and it's just really, really well, well written. So um, I, I appreciate that about it. Tell me about the Topo Designs tribe. How would you describe them? Oh, we've got, uh, yeah, we, uh, we, have, we have a nice mix of people here. And I would say that um, for the most part, um, luckily a lot of, of, of the vast majority of people sort of, you know, practice what we preach around here. So um, that makes it really easy to uh, have people be living the, the life that, you know, we tend to espouse here. So, uh, we've got a lot of amazing climbers cause we live in, in Colorado, people that fish a lot, people that are outdoors all the time, but people are also, um, you know, super into music and food and, um, a lot of other cultural stuff too. So, um, I would say that, uh, yeah, we have, we have a, a good, good representation of, of the people that uh, we're talking to that are working for us. And that, you know, we probably attract a lot of those people too. So, but um, yeah, really, really good set of people uh, here at Topo. We're lucky. Yeah. And I imagine your customer base looks very similar, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And it's, and it's really nice to be able to talk really genuinely to those people um, because we do what we're talking about. Right. So we, it isn't like we're, you know, making some, product that we have to do focus groups about and um, because we are our own 
focus group. So um, we just talk to each other and, and we get, you know, pretty blunt, um, honest feedback from a lot of our employees, which is great. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just really nice to be able to, you know, kind of, I, I think maybe for good and bad, it just, there's a, a little bit of a, a blurry line between topo and, and life and, and, and work and all that stuff together. So I guess at the end of the day, that that's pretty nice when um, it all sort of runs together in, in a good way. Yeah. Well, what are you most excited for next? What's coming up? Um, you know, I think what we're just really trying to do now is just, um, we have, I feel like such a good foundation, um, and such a, a good brand moving forward that I'm just really excited to, to tell more people about it and, um, just kind of get it out in the world, uh, in a bigger way. I think we're going to continue to do, um, pretty much what we have from, from day one and, um, our, our goal and kind of the excitement around it right now is just to, you know, kind of spread the, the good word about Topo. Oh, great. Where, where can people learn more about Topo Designs? Uh, they can uh, come to any of our retail locations in uh, Denver, Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, Boulder, Colorado, or, or San Francisco, or uh, at topodesigns.com. Great. And we'll make sure to link to all those locations and resources in the show notes. Jed, thank you so much. Jed Rose, Topo Designs. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for stopping by the Baby Got Backstory podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's nice to talk to you. Topo Designs is one of the best examples of a brand knowing exactly who they are and who they are not, and then acting on it. I encourage you to follow their Instagram feed and study how every image supports their why made for anywhere on your map. We'll make sure to link to that Instagram account here in the show notes. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. A lot of big stories and I cannot lie, you other storytellers can't deny, baby got backstory. You'll also find free story downloads and resources to help you integrate the power of story into your business. 